This is a Federal News Network podcast. Eileen Romer was an FBI agent and Navy reservist at the time of the attacks. On the week of 9-11, she was serving on active duty at the Navy Command Center in the Pentagon. Romer's shift ended in the morning just before the attack started. She would go on to aid the family of a colleague who was killed in that Pentagon attack. And then, she tells Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday, she helped lead cadaver dog teams tasked with searching through the debris at the Pentagon. So I had gone in the night before, obviously, and uh, stood watch all night and uh, left the building at about 8.45, maybe a little before that, and drove to my home in uh, Fredericksburg. And so when I got home, I had a phone call from a New York friend who said, did you see what's going on? I turned the TV on and um, the towers had been hit. And it wasn't long after that that uh, there was smoke coming out of the Pentagon, because I think you know there's really no video of the plane going into the Pentagon. So I tried calling the desk in the Pentagon for hours and hours, and of course nobody ever answered. And and so what did you do after that? Your day was obviously done. Well, yeah, my, my day was over. Uh, But then they asked me, uh, the commanding officer asked me if I would go and be with one of our reservist families to act as liaison to our command. I went to Bob Elseth's house. And so I met his wife and daughter and brother and parents and sister. They all came and, you know, waited for word. Um, I stayed with them. I answered the phone. I answered the door. I answered as many questions of theirs as I could, which unfortunately wasn't very much at the time. And then Saturday was the end of my active duty. Of course, you know, the Keiko uh, was fully engaged with the family. By then, they were getting results of um, what had happened. And so um, I, I went home. And Sunday, early afternoon, I got a phone call from FBI Washington Field Office asking if I was the Eileen Romer who had cadaver dogs. And I said, yes. So they asked me if I could put together some teams. And I knew there were four other agents who had uh, working dogs who worked body recovery. And I got in touch with them as well. I, I had trained with a volunteer group who were made up of civilians and sheriff's deputies and firefighters that we trained together every Sunday. And um, I got in touch with as many of them and everybody turned out and we brought people in starting that night, midnight, uh, Sunday night, um, and going for 12, 13 days until they were satisfied that everything could possibly gotten out was gotten out. The way we operated, you know, I showed up at, you know, whatever, 11 o'clock PM Sunday night, we set up a staging area and what they were doing was bringing debris from inside the Pentagon, loading it into trucks and bringing it around to North Parking, where they had a privacy area set up, and they would dump the truck contents into the parking lot. It was an evidence response tent set up next to this, as well as entrances and exit into the area from the area where we would come in with our dog and the dog would, you know, body recovery dogs generally work off leash. So they would look at the pile and they always found something. 
you know, we wondered if they would because of the, the heavy uh, fuel. The fuel tank was full pretty much on the airplane. So having never trained in that kind of an environment, we didn't know what they would be able to do. But, you know, that scent, I guess, is they, they know that scent. And um, they would touch something with their nose and, the, and wait. And then the evidence response people would come over and pick that up and remove it to the evidence tents. Then they'd come in usually with rakes and spread everything out so that we had access to more. So we would stay in there while they did that, and then we'd go through the pile again. And like I said, every time they they came up with something. So that's how I spent the next two weeks. And mm-hmm. that that was when the, the job was complete, or did you tag out for someone else, or had you... you the know? job was complete. In fact, um, the FBI turned the building back over to the military, and before they did that, um, I went through with my dog to all the space that had been cleared just to check and make sure everything had been gotten. And so after all that, did you go back to your job at the FBI at the Behavioral Analysis Division? I did. Uh, I did. But also at that time, there were a lot of uh, complaints coming in, you know, sightings, information, you know, followed by the anthrax. So I was actually sent from where I usually work up to headquarters, FBI headquarters on Pennsylvania Avenue, where we reviewed complaints that had come in. And I think I did that for a couple of weeks and then went back. And actually my particular job changed then from child abductions to I was full-time on counterterrorism. Mm-hmm. You know, our mission, it didn't totally change. It just increased. So now we were going to be looking at terrorists. So we did a lot of studying. Uh, I remember we had an ambassador from the Middle East who came and spoke to us and gave us bibliography of reading material to get us caught up. And, you know, the, f- the whole focus in the FBI changed that day. And so prior to that, you know, what was your experience with terrorism, you know, either at the FBI or the Navy? It was, it never touched me. Hmm. I had worked in the New York office where they had the first counterterrorism squad. So I knew it existed and um, I had read some books actually interested in bin Laden and, and some of the things that were going on, but it was not an area of expertise by any means for me. And it wasn't something that I did. After 9-11, trying to do a behavioral assessment of those hijackers is where we basically started. And one of the other things that we did, and I was in the first team to go to Gitmo, we provided interview strategies to the agents and others who were down there interviewing terrorists as they came in. Mm-hmm. But that was the following year. I, I went down there in August. I was there for the first anniversary of 9-11. Okay. They were 45-day stints down there providing support to the mission. So counterterrorism becomes obviously a big focus at the FBI. Do you think that you would have been interested in going into that field though it were not for the, you know, or as interested were not for the experiences that you had at the Pentagon, you know, on and and after nine 11. I, you know, I, I never really thought about that, but you're probably right. Um, it probably did influence me because you remember I was relieved at, um, eight 30 in the morning by someone who was killed in that room. And so, I knew a lot of those active duty people and the few reservists who were in there. 
I worked with them. I, you know, greeted them when they came in. Actually, the years prior, I had always done my active duty in the daytime. This was the first time this that year that I worked midwatch. So I knew the people who worked there in the daytime as well. And so I was looking for them, you know, not looking for them, them, but you know what I mean? I was mm -hmm. trying to recover all of them. And I remember people saying, wasn't that difficult? I said, no, it was wonderful because I, I was one of the few people who felt like I was doing something. Mm. I mean, there were a lot of agents who, you know, weren't pulled in to work this case. And I've heard from so many of them, they wished that they could do something. They felt so helpless. They wanted to be working that case. I have told people that um, the most important work I think I will have ever done in my life was with those dogs in North Parking. And that's Eileen Romer, an FBI agent and Navy reservist at the time of the 9-11 attacks, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com and search a Tuesday like no other. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them 
and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. 
and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.